Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Hi, it's me, Cindy Adams. Same Cindy Adams, Madam Adams, who harangues you in my column four days every week, Monday through Thursday, in the God Bless Us New York Post. And listen, I've been there forever, since the year of the flood. I mean, nasty unemployed critics say Noah read me in the ark. I think that's mean. So if you don't read me, however, you will miss all the latest current news on Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and all those great guys. Quickie note about Madeleine Albright, whom we just lost this week. She was a player. She had a Georgetown home at the top of a triangle between John's Kerry and Edwards. I was at one week-long Democratic convention with her in Boston, where she gave the only elegant sit-down that was not either reheated Franks or re-mayonnaised tuna. That was the time that we all began pushing for women in the number one office. Think Germany's Angela Merkel, Israel's Golda Meir, Britain's Margaret Thatcher, Think Secretaries of State, Condoleezza Rice, Madeleine Albright was a trailblazer, as was Hillary Clinton. Think how she was special, and I'm sorry we lost her. Madeleine Albright was a trailblazer. Now, it's coming up to awards time. Aye, soon we can again ignore the Oscars. Oy, the awards. I give it four oys. Anyway, believe it or not, the Bible was written even after Meryl Streep won her first statuette. Listen, Methuselah lived 900 years. And trust me, the guy could have lasted another weekend and still his life would have been shorter than the Oscars. Years back, A man whose name was Jules Stein wrote the big hit Three Coins in the Fountain. He even actually said that the movie was not great. He said it wasn't terrific, and yet he won the Oscar. He said, quote, awards are dishonest. These were his words, not mine. The event has now fallen lower than Jennifer Lopez's bra. Ben Affleck has said you can win with just 28 presenters voting for you. Today, few people can even locate a movie theater. So who cares about Hollywood now? Too many movies nobody sees. Eyeballs are always on TV with stars Few of us actually 
can pick out. One year, presenter Warren Beatty, you will recall, gave the statuette to the wrong people and the wrong film. And there was presenter John Travolta, who once called Idina Menzel by the stupid name of Adele Dazim. We all know how recently all of that, how they all screwed up. A few seasons back, I'm told I didn't see it, but I heard about a naked man who actually ran across the screen during the telecast. And how he got there, who knows? It was probably some producer from Netflix. Anyway, I once reported that the studio spent more than $1 billion in advertising. Begun in the 30s, not much has changed in all these years. Maybe this time producers will decide to put the bathrooms closer to the stage. Okay, we get off that. Now we get on something else. We get on a guy called Governor DeSantis, who, you may recall, got partially put into the governorship of Florida with the help of Donald Trump and is now looking to unseat any future Donald Trump and is running for president himself. We're talking about real loyalty. DeSantis has burbled that Florida is one of the lowest in the United States in COVID. Reminder, it suffered over 60,000 COVID deaths, 3.6 million cases, the highest behind Texas and California. It is low now because it only counts full time residents. A New Yorker who catches it while in a Florida condo gets counted only if he or she passes on. Okay, now I'm going to go to a few other little things. Um, I think maybe I'll tell you a little something about the movies since we've got the awards coming up. Sandra Bullock found a movie called The Lost City. The story she found was years ago. She did not like it. Now she likes it. Why? Because she's in it. It's a movie. She said, quote, I play a historical writer. She writes only history, but she's a shut-in who prefers to eat cheese safe at home in her kitchen because there's no need to go out for adventure since she writes about it. Also, her character throws in a lot of sex in the book. Why? Because, she says, nobody buys history books. Okay. She tells me that Channing Tatum is the sexy cover model in it. And she says Tatum understands physical comedy and is hilarious. Then she says, I get kidnapped. He goes after me. We get stuck in the jungle. You put oil and vinegar together and comes problems. But, says Sandra Bullock, the next time I ever do a jungle story, it must come with a porta potty, a onesie jumpsuit wearing high heels in the jungle, and no toilets. Listen, you have to not drink water, and you do have to pray. There are co stars in it, though, to Brad Pitt, 
Daniel Radcliffe of Fabio Standin and go find the lost city in something else that's lost. It used to be called a movie theater. Will Smith, he is maxi nominated for King Richard. However, he has said he will not sit with whoever is in a movie while they are watching themselves watch themselves in that movie. Although the Williams sisters, about whom this movie is, although they love this film, until they give thumbs up, he stayed distant from a screening room. Said Will Smith, I made that mistake on Ali. I sat right behind Muhammad. I saw his every head move. It was torture. I kept thinking, does he like that? Does he hate this? It was nerve-wracking. Richard Williams, the man he portrays in King Richard, somehow seems to have the same attitude. The guy has still not even seen the film, which is about him. Ah, the war. Everyone is trying to help this horror in Europe. Randy Weingarten is president of the AFL-CIO's American Federation of Teachers Union. She is doing a Polish Teachers Union dinner. She is raising $100,000 for refugee children. And there's a former New Yorker by the name of Regine Trollson. She did a Moroccan evening in Florida. And guess what? Rudy Giuliani showed up wearing a red fez. People are going out. Hillary Clinton was in a long purple coat, black slacks, sipping water, schmoozing at the Jane Hotel in the village. It's near where Letitia James's aide lives. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. I also don't know why, if I know this, nobody else should know it. She said that when she was pregnant with Chelsea, she worked at a law firm in Arkansas, and she said, I kept getting bigger and bigger, but no one said anything. She also said, I'm happy to be anywhere right now, and I can see faces without masks. If she said more, it wasn't why she was on Jane Street, which I still don't know why. Now we get to the former AG General Bill Barr. He had a party small for his new cranky book at Ristorante Tosca. It's in D.C. People like McConnell and Graham inhaled tuna tartare, meatballs, rice balls, and B.S. while this low bar droned, quote, Trump lost to Biden because he could never control himself. That, I'm telling anyone listening, is basically the entire book. So now you don't have to blow money reading it. Wait more. Brady. Brady. He publicly announced his temporary unretirement. Remember, he announced he was retiring from sports, and then he unretired. Well, things smelled fishy to several sports bettors. They were sniffing that it picked up some sort of a scent. 
It made things smell smelly, as in, they believe bets placed last week on the buccaneers arose from inside information, whatever that's supposed to tell us. They want regulators to regulate deeper. Known is that a close team manages Brady's press. It wasn't an accident that he unretired. Another well-known fact is Brady focuses on what's written about him all the time. Ah, One other thing I think I would like to say about this guy asked the secret of his new assistant's success as a door-to-door salesman. The assistant answered, It's easy. The minute a woman opens the door, all you say is, Miss, is your mother in? I am now about to interview two people. One is Dave Goodside, who owns New York City's Upper East Side, friendly, super successful neighborhood restaurant, The Beach Cafe. He'll tell us what's happening with customers, employees, prices, and restaurants. The other is Anthony Scordy, who is in an off-Broadway one-man play about Aristotle Onassis, who was married for an hour and a half, to the widow Jackie Kennedy, and can tell us what a spender she was. Right now comes a quickie station break, and then I'm right back. And listen to me, because even I don't want to miss me. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Things are looking a little better. Restaurants are resurrecting. After ringing the stock exchange opening bell, Jesse Jackson accepted an invite to Midtown's Biche Cuccinella. And at the plaza, a big beaded pearl necklace talking with everyone between sips was Martha Stewart. Now on 2nd Avenue, on the Upper East Side, there is a friendly, easygoing neighborhood restaurant to which all of us go. It's called the Beach Cafe. It's on 70th and 2nd Avenue. There you can find a friend, a burger, a bowl of chili, and a famous face or two. And you can find its owner, Dave Goodside. First of all, Dave, how, why, how did you get into this business originally? Oh, wow. It, it was uh, full, almost 40 years ago. I was looking for a little extra work, and a friend of mine uh, recommended going up to his favorite restaurant on the Upper East Side. And maybe they were looking for someone to stand at the door, and uh, that's exactly what happened. I uh, I was one of the, the few people back in those days wearing a suit, and they wanted a suit at the front door, and uh, I got a part-time job, you know, okay. four or five hours a night, and that's how it all began. It's on 2nd Avenue and 70th. The nearest beach is two hours away. How did you call it the Beach Cafe? Well, the Beach Cafe name was started by the previous owners. That was Tom and Bill White uh, back in the day. Very important restaurant tours here on the Upper East Side. And they grew up on Point Lookout. And they, uh, you know, very close to that theme of the beach. And they had access to a lot of beach type, uh, uh, you know, paraphernalia and buoys and lobster traps and nets and things. And uh, 
they brought that in, decorated the place. And over the years, it kind of upscaled and some of the nautical things went away. And uh, that's how the name Beach Cafe started. And uh, we just kept it going. Okay, I want to ask now about what's happening today. What about all those newfangled plastic outside in the road restaurants where if you don't get COVID, you could get hit by a bus? What do you think about all of those things? Well, some of those outdoor spaces are atrocious. I mean, the dilapidated, even the rats won't go inside some of these dilapidated buildings. I see homeless people packing up their things and they're moving out. Uh, Home Depot has been calling 311. They want the wood back. I mean, it's terrible what some of these uh, restaurants have done, but then others have put some investment in, like we did, and built really beautiful spaces and painted and uh, put windows up and made it almost like uh, another separate restaurant and uh, try to do our best to you know, retain the ambiance and make it a fun place and a safe place to eat. Yes, but if you lived in the neighborhood and you saw all of this and a bus can't get through and a car can't park, and who knows about creatures that come out of the food, what what about all that? Those things would upset me if I lived there. Well, there are certain streets where that's very real, and uh, it's also noisy. You know, if you live uh, on the second floor or third floor and uh, some restaurant has an outdoor space there, Certain demographics make a little more noise. That the younger places seem to make a little more noise. They put speakers outside, and, yeah. And you know, if you live there, you you have to live with it. So uh, that's one aspect that's bad. You've got the food that falls on the ground. Maybe they don't clean it up so well, and and uh, the rats know exactly where to go. They they're real good at finding it. And uh, you know, the city's going to have to police this. And everybody that has one of these outdoor spaces is going to have to pay attention. Do you do more takeouts now if people are still loath to go into crowded places? You know, takeout was never a big part of this business. We're an American restaurant. Uh, we do our share of delivery. But there's a lot of cost that go into you know, your takeout. You've got your containers. You've got your delivery uh, person. You know, how many deliveries can a person do in an hour? So you're paying, you know, $15 an hour. Maybe they do three deliveries. That's, uh, you know, $5 per delivery. This all goes on top of the other costs that we deal with. And by the time you're done, there's really not a lot of profit there. So you, you put a lot of work into it. But at the end of the day, it, it's not very fruitful. So for us, uh, we do it as an accommodation, but it never really you know, excited me. You get a lot of high-class people there. I mean, because it's a very fancy neighborhood. We, we all know about the Upper East Side. And you get celebrities and stuff. What, but what about restaurateurs making money these days? The prices are higher and the customers are less. Is that not the case? Yes, well, you know, if, and this is the, not a COVID situation, but certainly our cost of goods, everything that we touch straws, napkins, food, uh, energy, everything has gone up, and we, in labor, we can't absorb all of it, so we have to pass it on. We try to be careful because I don't set the price. The market sets the price. How much can I charge for a hamburger and french fries before the market says we're just not going to go there? So, you know, at at a certain point, you have to accept that maybe you're not going to make any money. You're going to just break even. Um, I don't, I'm not in a position to carry the restaurant, so we don't want to lose money. But, you know, breaking even at the end of the day is not a bad thing. No, I understand. 
I and tell me, I'm trying to learn some things here. You you also told me that people serving wine are not doing as well as margaritas. I don't. What, tell me what, what? Why am I confused? What is it you told me? Is, uh, when they allowed for the delivery of alcohol with your outgoing orders, which was is not the case now. They're talking about it. It's a. It's being presented in a bill, I believe, to the uh, New York State uh, Senate, and uh, the governor's pushing for it. But there was a time when they allowed it. This was back in the early part of the pandemic, March of 2020, throughout, I think, the summer. They allowed restaurants to include, if they wanted to, outgoing drinks. So in my case... We sell wine and, and liquor, but we're an American restaurant, so we're not getting people say, "Oh, put a, a bottle of uh, Cabernet in there," you know, at the price that we would charge. Uh, the, you know, they can get it much cheaper at the local liquor store, but a margarita, which is often made with you know a, a very inexpensive uh, brand of alcohol, they can make that for three or four dollars in a thirty-two ounce plastic container. And then sell it for twenty five dollars. And then when I say they, I mean oh. uh, the places the places that trade in that business, like the Mexican restaurants. You know, people order the nachos, and people order the, the tacos. They'll say, you know, throw in a margarita. Those those items go together very well. So the margarita is twenty five dollars. You know, pretty soon your your tacos and margarita, it's a fifty dollar purchase. So they were doing very well during the pandemic on their delivery. But you know, we wouldn't get people asking us to say, you know, you know, give me two burgers and a margarita. It just didn't happen. Will you stay here or will you move to another city? Are, are, are there other great restaurant cities like New York is? I just came back from Palm Beach. It is. I know. I know. Everybody here. over the age of 150 is in Florida. I already know that. The nearest the nearest restaurant is death. But is is that what you're talking about, where everybody's going? Well, we looking, we're looking down there. Um, you know, we love New York. We love the Upper East Side. We, we feel very connected to our customers. But right now, more than half of my customers are down in Florida. They're staying down there till the weather gets warmer. It's not all the people that are just doing it. Some people think it's all about taxes because there's a different tax situation in Florida than there is in New York. I don't necessarily agree with I mean, it's true, but I think it's more that people are going down there because it's warm. And for the, the majority of the winter, they had different rules. You could go around into restaurants without a mask on. It was, it was a, not a mandate down there that you could do what you want. And for a lot of people, uh, that worked. Uh, so, so yes, Florida is booming. The help is going to Florida. The good servers are down there. The good kitchen people are down there. Um, it's just a great place. You can't get a reservation in, in most of these, you know, populated areas like Delray, Boca, Palm Beach, Palm Beach Gardens. Uh, it's a booming business. I know, I know, I know. And the late dinner down there is 4.30. So how does an owner staff a place today? If the waiters are gone south or the chefs have moved to other cities, how do you get the talent you require? Well, you know, we go, you know, to different places like Indeed or, or Craigslist, and we put ads out there, but we're not relying on that. I mean, I don't know that the, the next great employee is going to answer one of those ads, so... We're trying to work with the menu. 
we're reducing some of the options because the more options you have on your menu, the more ingredients you have to manage and the more people it takes to cut and chop. And then you have to have more people to clean and sweep. You know, for every guy in the kitchen that's making food, he's making a mess. You have to have a guy coming behind him to clean it. So we're trying to uh, manage the items a little better. We're moving the hours around uh, so that we can try to keep that labor number down. And it's a real jigsaw puzzle. Are you upping your prices for a, for a diner? We've upped the prices on certain items, and we lowered the prices on my most popular item. Which is what? Which is the hamburger. We've tripled our hamburger sales. And uh, it's interesting. You know, Wall Street should have a, a, a hamburger index if they want to find out what's going on, you know, amongst all the other indexes. People might be eating more hamburgers because they're cutting back. And that tells you something about the economy of that area. So uh, in our case, uh, we're probably getting more diners that are kind of, uh, instead of having the, the fish or the steak, you know, they're going to have a hamburger twice a week. So our hamburger sales have tripled. And we did lower the price by a couple dollars uh, just to make it more attractive. What is your feeling? Will it, I don't know whether it is New York or the restaurant scene, but will it come back as before, I think I think that the COVID situation is going to be managed much differently. I think we learned a lot about you know how to how to kind of work the whole thing out, and not uh, hitting one sector. I do think that people have to feel safe. The crime situation in New York, uh, depending on where you live, you know, in our where we are on the Upper East Side, it's actually pretty safe. I don't have any uh, really stories to really reflect on. But I do hear from people that ride the subways and people that go other places in the city. And if there's a perception that crime is, you know, uh, yeah, getting know. worse, yeah. then it's going then, then to be bad. Then it'll be bad for New York. Meantime, I want to thank you very much for letting me come to the Beach Cafe, Dave Goodside. I love the restaurant. I love your burgers. I love you. And thank you for coming on, honey. Thank you, Cindy. I love you, too. Can't wait to see you again. Okay. Stay safe. Bye. A name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I'm about to speak to Anthony Scordy, who is in an off-Broadway one-man play about Aristotle Onassis. Onassis was one of the richest Greek ship owners there ever was in life. He was married for an hour and a half to the widow Jackie Kennedy and can maybe tell us what a spender she was. The play is called Onassis. Okay, where is it playing, Anthony? What time and for how long? Well, it's nearly done now, but we um, you, this is a Sunday now, so I guess we have one performance left at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we have um, we've been there for a month. Where does it go from here? Um, well, it's good. they want it in Croatia, they want it in Athens, they Greece, they want it in um, Chicago. So we will see. But I have uh, uh, a premiere coming up of the offer where I play Carlo Gambino for Paramount Plus. So I'll be going off to LA to do that in between. How actually, you you had told me, tell us, how did this idea originally come about? Cranky, I was um, on a set and um, another actor said to me, oh, you look like Aristotle Onassis. And I said, 
to myself, um, do I punch him or do I? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was 5-4 and called a toad. And I went home that evening. It was a movie called The Green Story. And um, the actor was Taylor Penglis. Um, I think it was on Days of Our Lives. And I went home and did some research and was so intrigued that I just kept digging and digging and digging. And I thought, this is a story worth telling. Okay. And that's how it came about. How do you, as a single actor, play Jackie and Onassis and JFK and her sister and everybody? Well, I don't play Jackie and JFK. I play uh, Lee, Radziwell. Uh I, I play my grandmother. I play my uncle. I play my father. You know, there, there are a plethora of parts I play. Uh, I, you know, I might jump in there with a couple of lines from Maria Callas. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know... You know, there's uh, the intrigue that went on is just unbelievable. And where the man came from to uh, where he ended up being one of the richest men in the world. And Tell me about it, because we don't know the background. We, I don't even know how he came to be who he became. How? Well, essentially, he came from Asia Minor. And 100 years ago, come September 13th this year, would have been, uh, it's a hundred years since uh, the Greeks, the Jews, and the Armenians were thrown out of Zmirni, Zmirna in Asia Minor. And um, his family ended up in Athens, broke. And through um, arguments, let's call it disagreements with his father, he decided to go to um, Argentina. And it was difficult at the time to come to uh, the U.S. because the Greeks were undesirables at the time. So yeah. he made his first million with the help of Claudia Muzio, an opera singer, soprano, uh, to make his first million at 23 through selling cigarettes. Yeah, and so, from there he became the largest ship owner in the world from cigarettes? Oh, he, discovers, he discovers that other men are making more money than me simply by shipping my tobacco. No, really? And invested in six old steamships from Canada. Oh, And okay. that's how it all started. So how he, do you, discovered them. How do you, you know, as, a, uh, as a single actor, how do you play all of these parts? Do you change clothes? No, I don't change clothes. I change accents. There's a lighting change, and I change physicality. I change postures, etc. So right before your eyes, you think, oh, my, there's another character there. Somebody um, else is speaking right now. Uh we we oh, we knew Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, of course. She lived next door to me. But before we get into the actual play, how would you personally assess Jackie? Kennedy Onassis from studying her. How, what sort of a person was she? Wow. Uh, I think by the time uh, Bobby was shot, uh, she was someone that was very scared and knew she had to take care of her children. And uh, I think uh, I said that Onassis um, was one of the safest ways to go. He had the uh, yacht. Um, she had her apartment on Fifth Avenue, but he had the yacht, you see, and which did have an armory in it. So she felt safer. And, of course, she needed um, to uh, live the life she had become accustomed to, and not many men in the world could provide that for her. The 
safety and the, you know, the, the financial security. So was, without saying too much, I think I can safely say that without offending anybody. I don't care whether you offend anybody or not. Nobody's here but me, and I don't get offended. So if was he a great lover, or is it just oh, because he yes. was... Or because he was so rich that he got her. Why? How? What? Well, what's the song that says there is nothing quite like money as an aphrodisiac? Oh, okay. Isn't there a song that says that? If there but, isn't, you know, honey, there should lover. be. Yeah, okay. You know, the, the, you know the, the, he was a great lover. You know, he made Maria feel like a woman for the first time in her life. You know, so, you know, um, yes, he was a great lover. But as I say... You know, money is a great aphrodisiac, isn't it? But he was very short and very fat and not go- very good looking, as I recall. He was 5'4", five 5'5". Five five. Well, an ugly man in his youth, but uh, and I wouldn't say he was fat, fat. I'd say he was stocky. Okay. I'd say he was stocky, yeah. Squat. But how how do you play... Onassis, if you don't change clothes, what do you do to become Onassis on stage? I invite him to take me over. What? And I, 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 I invite him. I have studied him so in depth and so closely that people are convinced that I am him when I'm on stage. So, um, you know, I come out in a dinner suit in a tuxedo and my physicality and all the the, the research that I've done and uh, the limited amount of uh, footage on him, um, I've studied it. So that's how I've become the man. And his voice, I've heard it in interviews. So how did you find out what he was like? If, if, what did you look at? TV, newsreels, movies, books? How does it, how do you begin I, such a project? I started reading 10, I read, eventually I read 10 biographies and, uh, um, and then like when I first had written this, there wasn't so much footage on him, but there's more and more as time goes by is being released. And, uh, there are small interviews, uh, clips of interviews that I've seen him on. And there are clips of him from newsreels of him walking and smiling and, there's one particular newsreel where uh, he gets angry at something in an interview. There's another interview that I saw, which uh, uh, talks. He's asked about the death of his son, and he responds to that. Okay. So, you know, I, I, there is enough out there to um, uh, glean something and use my imagination to uh, fill in the blanks. We all knew about. Jackie's monthly spending. Do you mention that? Tell us. Tell us about that. What What did you learn? <laughs> that she had a monthly clothing allowance, and that she would buy use it all up. And in the packages, the clothes would be taken to a store to be resold, um, unopened. So she would uh, liquidate, as it were, those clothes that she'd bought. And uh, put the money wherever she decided to put it, you know. So she 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 resold the clothes that she bought unworn. She used to send her assistant to do that for her. Is that something you're aware of? 
Uh, it's something I had heard, but I didn't know that she did it every single month and that he allowed that kind of money. He, How much did he give her every month in allowance? There, There's uh, different amounts, but it ranges between twenty and $24,000 a month. Well, that's nice. You can get at least two blouses, something like that. Um, yeah, at least. <laughs> okay. Do you? How do you bring Jackie on stage? You're not going to wear a schmata. You're not going to wear cl- dresses. How do you bring on Jackie? Well, I don't represent Jackie at all in this. I just talk about her, and I talk to her. I talk to her. I, you know, I represent more Claudia Muzio and uh, and uh, my grandmother and my uncle. Okay, uh, how do you father. do that? How do you do that, Anthony? How? Um, there's a lighting change, and I change posture, and I change accents. Do you have any props? Any props? Are there any props? Only that... for grandmother. Only for grandmother. I have a cane for grandmother. Everybody else is just a, 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 a dialect change, an accent change, and a physicality change. And what about her sister, Lee? Well, I talk to Lee. I talk to Lee, you know, uh, Lee Rapsiwell. I just mentioned that she comes on board and she tells me that uh, her three-day-old sister is very depressed. Uh, uh, her sister is very depressed after losing her, her three-day-old baby. So I ask Lee to invite her on to the Christina, which she promptly does. But she'd already been on the Christina with JFK anyway. Yeah. Up to that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I invite her on board and she does. And it's during JFK's uh, re-election campaign. You played this in Athens. What did they say about it there? They, uh, they loved it. They, uh, one of the reviews I remember very specifically because it, it moved me. It said something like, uh, we know, we knew, watching the, 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 the play, we knew exactly what happens to uh, Alexandros and to Aristotle Onassis. But somehow we were hoping that the outcome would be different in the play, you know, which it wasn't, obviously. So to me, that made me believe that I convinced them I was the man up there that uh, they believed was Onassis. Listen, I thank you for being here. I want to see the play wherever next it's going to be. I know it is played without an intermission. Thus, if you have to pee, you cannot see all of Onassis. I know that. It's 90 (laughs) minutes. It's not that long. It's not that long. And, you know, there's a performance at 3 o'clock on Sunday, which uh, there are tickets available on Eventbrite. And because I want to fill the house on the last day, I've dropped the tickets down to $30. So, you know, anyone can come and see it. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, sweetie. My pleasure. Good to to speak to you. Bye-bye. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Okay. I am now coming to an end of my brilliant hour on WABC. I hope you like listening to me. I love talking to you. And I will be on at the same time next Sunday on WABC from 1 o'clock to 2 o'clock. And I'd like to thank those of you who have been sending me many letters, even those that don't tell me what I can do to myself. I thank you very, very much. Bye.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 